Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Out of the Cave podcast. This podcast, you, you could say it's about a lot of things, but really the real purpose of this podcast is a way for me to have conversations with people I find interesting and want to speak with. I've always been interested in what it means to be a man, personality, relationships, morality, the existence of God, and a bunch of other topics in that same vein. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations and take something away like I will. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Dave Nevins, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Ready? Uh, <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Vincent Roberts Out of the Cave podcast with your host, Vincent Roberts, coming at you. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Dave, it's great to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, so I found you actually, I was diving into the ideas of the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church, which if you haven't figured out by now, I'm a Catholic. I don't push that on anybody, but uh, it's a really interesting movement within the Catholic Church. Um, some people would call it the new evangelization, uh, new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's followers, I guess the people within this movement attest to the the apostolic gifts of the Holy Spirit that we saw in Acts of the Apostles in the early church. And you did an interview, uh, Dave, with Peter Kreeft, who I just had on. You actually happen to be his webmaster. So you have a little bit of a, an in there. And you were talking about kind of these gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of tongues, gifts of prophecy, healing, and all these, except, you know, all these, these miraculous gifts that we, we see in the early church. And I, was, I, I found that interview very fascinating and also um, comforting because I respect Peter Kreef a lot. I've read his books and his books were a big part of my conversion actually in early high school. So I was uh, fascinated by that conversation and uh, yeah, reached out to you and you were uh, gracious enough to come on and do an interview with me. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's an honor. Yeah, so let's uh, let's just dive in. I know I, I'd like this to be a little bit more of a conversation than necessarily an interview because I think we're kind of in the same mind here and <laughs> can can go back and forth. So, yeah, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about who you are. Yeah, uh, two podcast episodes ago, Vince did an interview with Dr. Peter Kraft, who's a very famous Catholic philosopher from Boston College. And I had read many of his books in the 90s. And when the internet became a boom, I realized that there weren't many people who had the ability to take big ideas and condense them into very small power pack punches, kind of like chocolate cake that was really rich. And so I said, wait a minute, the internet needs you, but why aren't you on the internet? Your publishing company isn't doing it, which was mostly Ignatius Press at the time. And most of my problem getting him on the internet was with him. <laughs> he just did not want to be on the internet. He thought it was not a something of the future. And I had been working in a multimedia company and I thought, oh no, wait a minute. <laughs> so uh, we finally got him on after about two or three years. I would send him a letter and he would send me uh, something back that says the fonts are too small. And I said, are you ever going to get email? So that's the type of thing <laughs> I had to deal with. Anyway, so uh, Vince bumped into me through his website and there's an interview on there about the charismatic gifts, which is a topic that I'm really passionate about. And I can totally sympathize with you, Vince, about some of your concerns because uh, on the personality skill, thinker and feeler, I'm also like you and Peter Crape, more on the thinker side. So sometimes when things get a little more on the feely side, it's not as natural for me to kind of fully embrace them. So my experience was that I would have I I would have a difficult time sort of embracing a lot of the stuff until God kind of reached out and said boom, boom. And he started giving me some experiences of it. And I kind of had epiphanies that made me go, 
oh, that's what that is. In other words, it's kind of like seeing a picture versus reading a calculus book. You just kind of get it because you see the whole thing all at once. And along my life, that's how major developments in me have happened is that God will actually speak something very clearly to me. And then from then on, there's never an argument and I don't have a taste for the other side. And the charismatic gifts were one topic. It's kind of like the miracle grow for the tree of Christianity. So some people treat it as if it's kind of like a new version of Christianity, which is false. And some people treat it as if it's uh, something that's just kind of an askew fad or a throw off, but it's not. And it's integrated, as one of the chief architects of Vatican II said in the Catholic Church, Cardinal Sunins, that this was a grace that was latent in everybody that anybody could unpack. It's part of the inheritance set that Christ bought for us. So if you're listening to this podcast and all of this sounds unfamiliar, uh, just think of it very simply as within Christianity, there's these little growth spurts. There's these little gifts that God likes to give, and they're famous and they're highlighted in the Bible. There's several of them mentioned gift of visions, gift of prophecy, gift of tongues, gift of healing. And they're all available to everybody in certain degrees. And some people will be more inclined to others, other gifts than other gifts. But the main thing is just that you're hungry and just that you're saying, God, I'll do whatever you want. Because if you look at the Bible, most of it is a surprise. And one of the things about the Holy Spirit is you can't box in the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of an intro. So we're going to probably going to be talking a lot about that. If you're not a Christian, don't worry about that either, because God gives gifts out to everybody, regardless of whatever your theology is. So I want to be encouraging. I understand and I'm totally sympathetic that this topic can seem off the radar for a lot of people. So I like to try to explain things as simply as I can, but some of it will be unfamiliar. So roll with it and kind of as you're listening to Vince and I just kind of listen and go, what part of this is for me for now? And then just forget the rest, because Usually there'll be a little seed or some one thing that is said that will spark off an entire new direction in your life. And what's cool about this topic is that it's not something you can just kind of go, oh, that's nice. Because we're talking about the claim that God, in specific Jesus, gives these supernatural gifts as ways of building up a relationship with God. So anyway, sorry for the long sermon, but as you can tell, it's something I'm energized about. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's, it's, if this is authentic, right, if this is really from God, and God is doing something that he necessarily hasn't done, in, in, in there's some, some cases through the centuries, like with the great saints, right, um, St. Francis of Assisi, Padre Pio, you know, they had some of these miraculous gifts, but it doesn't seem like something that everybody in the church had, except in the early church, and if you read Acts of the Apostles, which and, and uh, you know, other places like Corinthians, um, Paul talks about it and Paul being the recounter, you know, of the, the books after the, the Gospels. He recounts some of these early experiences of the Holy Spirit and he recounts them as the, the kind of ideas. They're almost bewildered by what is happening and they don't really understand it. And Paul later, you know, in I believe it's Corinthians, um, kind of dissects what's going on and gives them some more i think in thessalonians as well some he gives them voice i guess he, he characterizes them and says here here are the ones that we've seen <laughs> kind of uh, like an observational experience of them and there's probably more but we don't necessarily know how they work uh, and i want to believe in these miraculous the 
things, right? And, and understand them and understand them also in their context. So I guess the first place to start is at Pentecost, right? So the apostles are in the upper room and they receive the Holy Spirit and they have a, you know, they hear a rushing wind and tongues of fire land on them and they begin speaking in other languages, uh, almost like just, you know, I, I imagine that they're trying to talk to each other, but now they can't understand each other and they're speaking in other languages and people outside are like, wow, look at all these guys. They're drunk. It's only three o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, Peter gets up and he's like, no, this is what's just happened. And um, they end up converting, you know, 5,000 that day and then go on to, you know, start healing people and all these things. And that's always been really fascinating to me. And so I guess we can start there, right? Gift of tongues to me has always meant um, speaking in other languages. But then yeah. recently, recently, later, Paul describes it as babbling in languages nobody can understand because the Corinthian church seemed to value this babbling in gibberish and maybe in an actual language pretty highly, but he's, he corrects them. But he doesn't say that this isn't something that's true. So I guess that's, that's the one that, yeah, the gift of tongues for me is disturbing <laughs> and also um, surprising. So yeah, if you want to talk about that, I know you probably can talk about that for a little bit yeah sure there's two different words that people use to describe the foreign language one which is xenolalia and then the prayer tongues is considered glossolalia and uh and as you said they're different things and they have different purposes and it is like is mentioned in the bible it is a stumbling block for a lot of people i like to kind of circumnavigate those arguments because usually they are rooted in something that will make us a bit defensive because you if you start attacking somebody's belief in one area of theology usually they get defensive and they start to go but wait a minute my church doesn't promote this are you trying to attack my church and nobody will say that consciously but on, in the unconscious the buried emotions where we want to feel secure that we're in the right place that we're not stupid we will tend to kind of defend an argument for the sake of defending it and so what I like to do is give in terms of pictures. And so I think the best way for me to describe it is, uh, as you might have heard in the interview with Peter Craves, as a potentiality that can be brought into actuality. And a good picture of that would be the ability to kiss. So everybody has the ability to kiss somebody else. But that doesn't mean we're always using it and moving it potentiality. So I believe, and it's been my experience, that everybody actually has the gift. But what happens is all the attributes around the gift are very similar to this romantic experience of being courted by God and then having a new experience that makes you change the whole tone of your relationship. So, for example, in my case, I was seeking God in a certain way, which is a little bit antiseptic in terms of the heart. And I would think I was around your age and um, early 20s. And I was just going through a difficult period and I was just crying out to God and it seemed like everybody else was getting this stuff and they were getting all excited and I wasn't that type of personality. And it wasn't that my heart was in the wrong place, but I spent about four months trying to get this gift and trying and I would make an effort and I would start babbling and then somebody in the church would say, he's got it, he's got it. And I'd be like, no, it's not it. You know, I knew it wasn't the real thing. And so finally, <clears throat> excuse me, I was on a retreat 
And at the end of the retreat, I had a great time, but I was really frustrated because I heard a lot of other people getting that gift and also seeing visions of angels and different things. And so I was a bit frustrated and I finally just said, there came a breaking point where I just said, you know, I've exhausted myself. I just, I was as hungry as I could get and I just fell apart and my natural strength had been depleted. And then I was just talking to God and this stuff came out of my mouth that I knew wasn't me. And one of the reasons I knew was because I had tried for four months to fake it and I wasn't sure. But once it happened, it made me absolutely certain that this was a legitimate real gift and it had all the effects of something that I now look back and go, oh, that may be what it is. It's type of, it's kind of a type of when you are dating somebody and you have your first kiss and then the whole color of the relationship changes. It moves from being more platonic to more warm and you get the chills around the person and you just love their company more than what they say. And it just kind of goes to this flavor migration. And that's what happened to me. And that's the reason why these two different camps can happen when we're talking about the subject of these gifts, or as the Greek says, the charisms, or as in charismatic, is because people can kind of go at it like, oh, I'm not in that group. So maybe I'm a second class Christian. Or the people who are experiencing this stuff think that they're better, you know. And they're trying really hard to force people to have this encounter with God. And some of the encouragement is good hearted and it's good. You know, you want to be encouraged to receive everything that God has for you, but not in a pushy way, not in a way that's unappealing, not in a way that's repulsive. So there's usually these kind of pre kissers and post kissers. If you want to think of that as a certain type of picture, I've just found that to be a really helpful analogy because we want to avoid both sides of it. It's just a gift but it's also a really powerful gift like what kissing does for a relationship. And my deepest conviction is that God is uh, an epic adventure romantic. So when I think of everything, I'm always looking at everything through the lens of supernatural love. So Paul says when he's talking about the gift, he says, you can have the gift of tongues, but if you don't have love, then it doesn't mean anything, which is kind of like saying you can kiss somebody that you don't know or that you don't really don't want to, or that you're just using them. But if you don't have that center to center connection, then what's the point of it? And I find that that picture helps fade away a lot of the questions on that gift and any real supernatural gift, because the whole point is God's supernatural love for you. And if it starts with there, then you can answer all these other peripheral questions much faster. Yeah, I want to talk about, or at least qualify for people who may not have any understanding of what we're talking about right now. So the, that's these, great. <laughs> so when we're talking about the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in the Christian understanding of receiving anything from God, at least in the Christian context, is you have to be baptized. And you know, Christ is the example of this. He goes to the Jordan and is baptized by John, his cousin. And in in Christianity and Catholicism we are baptized. And then later on, we receive confirmation. And confirmation, as I understand it, both of these are gifts are sacraments, in the Catholic understanding that we can only receive once. And we receive them. And once we are baptized, the Holy Spirit can can come 
can come into us. And at confirmation, we receive a renewal of the Holy Spirit. In the charismatic circles, there's something called a baptism in the Holy Spirit or baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I believe, at least I understand it to mean um, a renewal or, or a stirring up of the Holy Spirit. And I've, I've argued with some people who, or at least I can, I can see how it could be considered a second baptism or a second confirmation. And if that's the case, that that's not what we believe as Catholics, but if it's a, a stirring up of what we already have and it not a being a secondary time and not being done outside of what the catechism, you know, dictates is, you know, being done by the Bishop and, um, and, you know, the laying of hands by, by anointed hands, these are, um, seem to be important for the gift. And then I, once, once we talk about that a little bit, I want to go back into what you were saying about how you receive the gift and then the fruits of that gift. Cause that's also really, really interesting to me too. Yeah, sure. Well, there's a lot of scholars today that I've talked with and many that I haven't, who will say, Oh, wait a minute. There's a lot of evidence that confirmation and baptism, of the Holy spirit, very easily could have been the same thing in the early church because Jesus talks about those two baptisms a lot, the baptism of water and the baptism of fire. And he mentions the baptism of fire all four times and then promises that that'll happen at Pentecost, which is what you were talking about when they first experienced this explosion, which is considered the birthday of Christianity because it's the first time that God seemed to have sparked off the whole thing. I have always looked at it again, using the romantic lens that God gives us baptism as a gift, which is kind of like getting married. And then the baptism of the fire, or the, excuse me, the confirmation is something more like a kissing thing. And then communion is something more like a, con, uh, a common union between spouses. Now that's not to say that you can't kiss before you Get, it's like people who do get the gift of tongues before they get baptized doesn't mean they're breaking a rule. It's just that there's a normal current in a romantic relationship that God wants us to follow. But that doesn't mean we're under the law necessarily. It just means that the law is there to help us guide the relationship. There's a difference between the law being a guide, like the church documents, and the law being based on the nature of God, which can never change. So obviously we want whatever the law is regarding these gifts to comply with whatever the nature of God is, because there's certainly times, for example, in the book of Acts, when Peter says, I thought the only people who could get gift of tongues were the Jews. Mm -hmm. And obviously that wasn't the case. So, so his yeah. rule had to be modified. So we find something similar. So you can either go at it from the direction of impersonal principles, or you can go at it from experiential data inductive or deductive reasoning, and you want them to match. So sometimes you have to adjust the rules to your experience. And sometimes you have to adjust the experience to what the, the principles are. So you use both your tools and we're kind of figuring both of this out now because there's been such a massive explosion of these gifts in the past 120 years. So I think that one of the reasons of that is that we're going through a season where, as Jesus said, where the light, is there the darkness is there where the wheat grows the weeds are there as a tree grows its shadow grows as grace abounds as gifts abound so does the darkness and the sin so i think 
we're just in a part of the human story when both of those are being massively escalated because clearly that's happening in all these other areas of culture and in the church. So we're seeing a lot of sin on a massive scale, but we're also seeing the power of the Holy Spirit on a massive scale. So I just see it as part of the same thing. I don't look at it like if somebody has a certain prevalence of the gift of tongues today, that meant that 400 years ago, it should be 20% of the church as well. I don't look at it that linearly. I look at it more organically. Yeah, most people talk about the gift of tongues as well. They're talking about a personal prayer language, and that's the term that I've I've heard used by a number of people, meaning that they that they go by themselves most most times, as Paul Paul seems to say, right? If you don't have somebody to interpret the the gibberish words that you're saying, don't just keep saying them out in public, you know. You and then he prays to himself in this, in these languages, which are ununderstood, right? (laughs) Not understandable. And they're to edify, as he says, to edify his spirit um, and not the church, right? The gift of prophecy can help other people where this gift is only for yourself. And so I guess, yeah, we can jump into like, you mentioned that there's these fruits or, or, or benefits, I guess, in our lay terms (laughs) the benefits of doing this (laughs) yeah this thing and yeah like you mentioned peter you know observes that people who are gentiles who haven't yet been baptized can receive the holy spirit and then paul later people who've been baptized haven't yet received the holy spirit so it kind of comes and goes in this weird it's not like necessarily steps per se but it's there's there's some you know, it moves where it wants. <laughs> well, they, you're quoting Jesus right there. You can't tell where the Holy Spirit's going to go like the wind. You just kind of see the signs and follow. But God does speak to people. I mean, clearly the whole history of the church is, and the whole point of Christianity is, is that we get to have this relationship with God. That's a different view than you get normally presented in Christianity, which is kind of these are the rules, and then if you follow them, you're fine. It's really that what happens at Pentecost is something like humanity being impregnated with a new life. It's the birthday of the church. And he's trying to say everybody is welcome and invited, and some people are already in it and don't realize it. The baptized, the baptism of desire. And uh, so I tend to look at it more from an organic experiential view, although you absolutely have to have the experiential principle view as well. But when it comes to gifts like the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues, I mean, one of the easiest ways to discern it is to just ask God. A lot of times on this subject, especially if it's contentious or if we have a wound with somebody who's been either too charismatic or not charismatic enough, usually what happens is we'll kind of default to not talking about God. And just like Peter Craig would say, he says the whole, one of the whole points of the book of Job is Job's friends talked a lot about God, but Job actually talked to God. And there was a lot for Job to learn that God is the initiator and God is courting us and God is the creator and he's the author. He's the one who loves us first. And then we just get to respond to that. So I'm really big on the notion that you just are a responder mostly to what God puts in front of you because we all have a different set of potentialities and gifts and we all, all of our movies have a different plot line. 
But my, I think the central thing to everything is that God is this supernatural romantic lover. That's kind of like the core. And then if you look at it through those eyes, I think it's a lot easier to follow a lot of these things like when can you prophesy and when you can't. And do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, definitely. The The thing that really concerns me, like with this gift, especially is the authenticity of it, you know, um, prophecy or tongues. What's that? Prophecy or tongues? Uh, tongues, I think. Okay. Cause, cause is that the one that's the stumbling block for you the most? Yeah, that one is, I don't understand the, the necessity, because it seems to me all of these miraculous gifts are for growing the church, right? And the gift of tongues at its earliest was for growing the church, right? It converted 5,000 people because they could preach to them in their own language, um, because they understood them without even having to learn the language. And that's what we mean um, in the original, you know, the, what'd you say? Not glossolalia, but the... Xenolalia. Uh, um, Xenolalia, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So the authentic gift of if, if we are using this for building up ourselves, how do we know? Cause it's a subjective thing. How do we know it's real? And, and this is actually something I'd be really interested to hear your experience of, cause I think we kind of had the same thought of it. And I was like, I, yeah, I can speak in gibberish, you know, <laughs> as long as I want to, but that doesn't mean I'm doing anything significant. And I had an argument with somebody recently or discussion, I guess you could say about yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with an argument. Yeah, exactly. Love, right? Yeah, exactly. About this, you know, cause if it's just for you, like that doesn't necessarily seem to do any good for anybody. And then also, how do you know it's real? How do you know that there's anything here, you know? And uh, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Those are two good questions and two questions that are asked a lot. What good does it do? And how do you know it's real? The what good does it do is like any relationship, you'll see the fruit of it. That's one. That's the effects that come from. The other thing is, does God ask for us to do this? Mm -hmm. The other thing is, if you take empirical data points, well, of all the people who say that they're experiencing this, what is their report of what it's like and what it's doing and its purpose? And then the second question uh, was something that I forget now. <laughs> yeah, it seems what to me a lot of people uh, could be just experiencing or say that they're having this experience of doing this and they're well-intentioned, right? Um, but they're not actually experiencing it. And some people I know who I've talked to who, who have been in these circles, right? They, they've even had you know like on a on a spiritual like retreat or spiritual awakening thing they'll say hey who wants to receive the gift of tongues let me show you how to how to have the gift of tongues here like you know this is what it sounds like and now you know you can copy and i heard even on uh, catholic answers there was one of the dominican priests who was you know this is his example he was like yeah some guy showed me and then i copied him and then it kind of evolved into my own thing and and that's my that's the gift of tongues but a gift we cannot we can't just make a gift happen, right? We have to receive a gift. And so that's very upsetting to me too, by a lot of these people who are well-intentioned, but it also is upsetting to me that so many people, well-intentioned people are being almost, I think, led astray by, you know, you're not doing anything, <laughs> you know, go, go out and serve the poor. Like, you know, right, right. Well, what does time. it mean to do something? And we could go back to the idea of kissing. What does that do in terms of the GDP of the country? Mm-hmm. I mean, you two people are falling in love. They're productive in the most important way. And things like financial growth will happen more naturally when people are in love, but it's secondary. 
So in the sense of the fruit of productivity or more mental knowledge or things like that, I think that that's important, but it's secondary. Like the main thing is what does it do with your center to center, heart to heart connection with God? And if it's building up that, like Paul says in Corinthians, if I pray in tongues, it edifies me. So that's the value. It edifies your relationship with God. It makes you closer with God objectively and subjectively. And what do we mean by edifying? Can you speak about that for a second? I think you always have to go back to love and say, well, when you're most deeply in love with somebody else, when are you the most edified and what caused it and what happened as a result? And so you can look at it from all those outside ways, or you can look at it from the inside and just experiencing it. And then you just know, and I think all your questions are good. They tend to be more outside questions, which is fine. But you can go from both sides of it. You can say, oh, I want to experience this. And then you can see it's like, oh, that's what it is. And that's what it's not. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree with you that in the charismatic renewal, one of the problems arose. It's not in general. It's not bad hearted. But there became this technique that evolved, which is well, if you just repeat this word enough, it'll just happen. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like if you kiss somebody 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, you'll fall in love. Well, maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. <laughs> so you might get, uh, or you could say if you're, if you're putting your face really close to somebody else's face, it's not going to be long before you're kissing this person that you're attracted to. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's not the best way to start. You always start with the heart. Now it's nothing wrong with starting with the outside accoutrements of love, because we all normally do that anyway. We just, that's part of what the gifts are given for is they, like when you give chocolates to a girl you're going out with, part of the reason is because you already like her and then you want to kind of have more of an experience of her. So it's not, um, for productivity and it's not for some type of deduction that you're looking for. And it's not to add to doctrine primarily, Mm -hmm. although you can write a lot of books on kissing if you want. So it's more a heart to heart thing. It's more boosters of the relationship in that area. And now this is going to be something that will add energy to your will, intellect and emotions, just like when you're going out with somebody. So because you're a thinker, I'm noticing all of your questions are, are escalating around, but how does this make sense? Even the fact, I think earlier, that, excuse me, that you mentioned, you know, if you can't understand it, that bothers me. And so I'm picking up something from you, correct me if I'm wrong, Vince, oh, yeah. that you really have this, I would say a gift of understanding. And so what happens is that can trip it up. You can go, but I don't get this. Therefore I'm not, going to give into it or, you know, whatever thoughts that come to your head or some of them will be temptations, but whatever thoughts that come in that say, therefore, and so those are the places where we look at and we go, oh, well, is this premise correct? Oh, it is. Well, is this one correct? And you just kind of follow the path. So in your case, you're very smart. So you tend to go down the logic path and that's great, but some things will be best understood from the inside. Just like when you're, you know, I didn't understand until I got married. Oh, there's a lot of things I couldn't possibly have understood from the outside. It doesn't mean I was a bad person or that I was doing anything wrong or that I wasn't on God's path for my life, but there's just some things you can't see from outside of the experience. 
that doesn't mean they're not valuable. It's just like priests who can counsel on marriage. It doesn't mean that their encouragement and their prayers aren't helpful. They sure are. But there's a certain part of the relationship that they can't know about. That doesn't mean that God doesn't give them graces to help the marriage. Yeah, no, definitely in my experience, it's wrestling with it mentally. And uh, before we started the interview, I, I really want somebody to almost wrestle me into understanding this or, you know, uh, yeah. you know, really, because I haven't had because the problem with the, this for me is it's so subjective that, you know, it's, oh, I, you know, I had this subjective experience of, you know, this thing happening. The other ones, the other ones are a little bit clearer, right? You know, if you, <laughs> you heal somebody's broken leg, that's pretty obvious, right? Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> that's clearly supernatural. It's clearly from God. And if you have this, you know, that's, that's miraculous. Right. But something like this speaking in tongues is so subjective that for me, it, it is definitely hard to, to, to understand. And also, yeah, like the, the problem of um, like it has happened in the charismatic movement that some people have been, you, you can't be taught a gift, right? You have to receive it. And so receiving it authentically and I guess dissecting how it is broadly speaking, like what's the, what's the, the eyewitness testimony, right. And, and looking at that, and if there's some, you know, consistent patterns, not saying that they, they're going to be you know the same across the board, because that's clearly not how it, it was an act of the apostles. And that's not how God seems to work, but God does yeah. seem to work consistently enough that we can know that it's, you know, the, the God of Jacob and Isaac, you know? Uh, but yeah, let's, let's dive into what you were mentioning. You, you knew that this was authentic, because I think like myself, you've been trying to understand this, trying to, to do this and know, you know, that there's that voice deep down, like, this is false. Like, what I'm doing is not real. This is just bull, you know? And um, yeah, even when people were telling me it was the real thing, and these are people yeah. that I sometimes trusted, there's always an element of trust and faith in all of this. Uh, just like when you court somebody, you know, or when you get married, there's no way to be able to predict the future on everything, no matter how hard you try. But I, I think in your case, you're leaning very hard on the objective side because that's where you have been given a gift from God. Now, subjectively, there's been a tendency in certain streams, especially the intellectual streams to kind of downplay that. But the irony is that those two things are married. You can never really do one without the other. It's kind of like doing left brain without the right brain. That's a half brain approach if we do all of life like that. So to do something only objectively is only going to get you halfway, hopefully. So you kind of have to go in. Even the basic principles of geometry and logic and the scientific method and existence and being conscious, all those things are based on, you know, fundamental, as Dr. Williams said. Well, a, a subjective perspective that, oh, these things are non-negotiable, like the law of non-contradiction. It's something yeah. that's there and it's given and it's objective, but we start with it by just knowing like we're conscious that it's something yeah. we experience. It's like so Plato's it's not, forms. Like yeah, you, Plato's you, know, forms. you know what a square is in your head. And then when you see it, you can, or you can draw it, you know, you bring it out of your subjective understanding, but there's a universality to the, subjective in some things but not necessarily yeah. in, in all things like that's why we can all you know cry in a movie 
you know, for me, that's like Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, I don't know if you, you've seen that movie. But that huh. movie, that movie gets me every time because, and I know a lot of guys who same thing or Braveheart, right? You know, I think for men, yeah. Braveheart, women, they don't care. You know, I, I watched this with a girl. She just was totally disinterested but i think of men there's some part of that that just stirs our spirit and that seems to be a subjective but universal experience there sorry to cut you off but yeah i think there's oh, no. like some universality to the subjective and whether we can understand this the subjectivity of tongues in, in that universal universal sense i guess i think you need both of them always and i i would also think that there's a universality and a uniqueness to both objective and subjective. And I know I'm getting really abstract, <laughs> so I don't want to, uh, you know, get too confusing, but I agree that, uh, with what you're saying. And I do think a lot of times we need both. And I think it's good to have an awareness if we back up and say, well, what are the streams that I'm in? Because if you're in an academic situation, they're going to pump the objective side of things more. But if you're in the social sciences part of academics, they're going to such as psychology. And I think it depends on what your goal is and what you're looking for. If you're trying to calculate, let's say, a formula for getting the gift of tongues, I think that's going to be rather challenging. But if you're trying to connect with God and, you know, you have to warm the bread before you butter the toast, well, there's a certain place where you're more likely to get the gift of tongues, and that is when your heart has a certain posture. That's why it happens very easily in worship because sometimes you don't even ask for it and it just shows up. And I know one guy who came to the prayer meeting I used to run in Washington, D.C. for many years, and he said he was praying and he was concerned because these sounds started to come out of his mouth. He didn't know what they were. He was a Catholic guy. And he went to a psychologist who said, that sounds like a religious thing. Why don't you go to your church? So he went to the pastor and he said, oh, that sounds like a charismatic thing. Why don't you go to our Dave's prayer group? And he came to me and I said, oh, that's the gift of tongue. And he talked about it. I was like, that's absolutely the gift of tongues. And he was really relieved that there wasn't something wrong with him. <laughs> he wasn't having a straight. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, he was, it was happening during worship. And I thought, well, that makes sense. That's and a what, clue. Was he trying to pray or was it just something that kind of came over him? Because that seems to me very authentic if it just kind of comes over you. And you're not necessarily trying, like you were, when you were telling your experience of it, um, and this has been my experience with the, the, the closer I get to God, right, uh, for a long time I've been, oh, I can do this and you know, my with my own will, which is the early heresy of Pelagianism, right? <laughs> I can do this through my own strength. I can achieve God through my, you know, my own force of will. And and that's what we see in the world, you know, like that's that's of Satan. You know, we we can do everything. You know, we can build skyscrapers to the moon and you know, we will conquer all. And there's some good in that, but that is we can't do everything we can't do anything without God. Um yeah. yeah. And I think that you're right. And wherever you experience a type of repulsion, I think there's usually a good part of that that's from God. And I think there's usually a bad part that the enemy uses, just like with every gift. So if you see a bunch of people pushing the gift of tongues and you're kind of drawn back and said that there's something wrong with that. Well, there is something wrong with that. On the other hand, you know, that doesn't mean they're not pushing a good thing and doesn't mean they're not well-intentioned. It just means it's not entirely done right. And very few things are, but when this guy got the gift of tongues, he was worshiping God and just kind of fell on him. And it was a normal thing for me. I had to, I was trying to control it and try it and try it. And it wasn't until I let go. Mm -hmm. So it depends on your personality. And I think in your case, we talked a little bit about personality types. You know, I'm an 
strong believer that the flavors of your personality determine part of your calling, what gifts you'll be drawn to, what gifts are already latent in you. I do know something about yours. Do you want to talk about a little bit about? Yeah, sure. We can dive into that because actually it's funny that I, I, I had no idea we were going to talk about personality types, but for like the last two weeks, like for hours a day, I've been, uh, I, I, am, I have the luxury to be able to uh, listen to some things while I work and I get to like listen to lectures and things like that. And I've just been diving in back into the Myers-Briggs uh, personality matrix, uh, the 16 personalities, if you haven't heard of it, um, I highly would recommend you go and do it. But first, I would also recommend going and looking into the four temperaments, which are actually older, much, much older, and they're from the ancient Greeks. And they kind of were of a pseudoscience to begin with, you know, based on the these these body things, you know, the choleric, sanguine, phlegmatic, and melancholic, based on like bile and blood and <laughs> these nasty things, but they, they were adapted. And there's actually a really good book um, that uh, one of three, The Temperament God Gave You um, by um, Art and Lorraine Bennett, which is also really, really good to kind of help understand it. But I think the first place we start is the temperaments because they kind of categorize you into four. And it's easier to understand yourself if you have a broad, you know, broad strokes approach. And these are based on how you generally speaking, react to things. So like myself, I'm a choleric primarily. So I react quickly, but then I get over things pretty quickly. So I don't hold grudges for a very long time. I, I you know, you, I'm easily excitable, <laughs> but I calm down pretty quickly. And then my secondary temperament is melancholic uh, for temperament wise. Like that's the kind of one that, that feeds that a little bit too. Temperament or sorry, um, personality type wise, I'm classified as an ENTP. So that extroverted intuitive thinking, um, I'm forgetting the, the T and then uh, P. Yeah. Well, you've done a lot of homework. <laughs> I'm fascinated. I, I love this stuff. So well, I'm a big believer in it. And uh, my wife and I, Constanzia, Zia for short, we run a healing ministry and we see a lot of action from the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the things we're really big on is the personality temperaments. And she's an expert on it. And in fact, before we got on, I asked her, I said, do you have any idea what Vince is? And she goes, oh, he's an ENTP. Just look at him. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's yeah, pretty good. Pretty well, she's an INTP. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he's a nearest neighbor. Close. I'm, yeah, very close. Yeah. And what that means for people who aren't familiar with this is that um, that whole quadrant, if you will, is based on these Greek temperaments, which were very blurry and non memorable. But if you really want to know the essence, the key is not the personality test. Don't just go online and take the test. Try to go into what the core meaning of each of the things is. And this is what God showed me is it's goodness, truth, beauty, and then the harmony of all those, which is oneness. So I'm in the goodness quadrant. You're in the truth. My wife is in the truth. Uh, the beauty people tend to get kicked out of Christianity, unfortunately, because it's all, oh, that's just subjective feelings and all the artists and the oneness can be in any of them. But your gift would be thinking of things. You see stuff faster than other people do. And in fact, you mentioned it as you started talking about the personality types. You said two weeks ago, I started talking about the personality temperaments and I had no idea we were going to discuss it. Well, to me, paying attention to those little quote unquote coincidences or God incidences, that's really key because that triangulation, if you pay attention to that voice in those circumstances, those are like puzzle pieces. And if you collect enough of them, you can really see pictures really fast. And for somebody like me, 
who's not like you, an intuitive thinker, I tend to have to collect a lot of puzzle pieces <laughs> because you see things really fast. It takes me a while to see them, but when I see them, they tend to be etched in permanence. Yeah, no, that's actually the one of the things that has helped my faith the most is I can look back and see, oh yeah, that definitely was God working. And I was just talking to my roommate about this last night, like an experience I had um, where I, I planned a trip to go walk the community to Santiago after high school. And I'd planned this for like eight years and I was going to be there for two months. I was going to do, you know, 2000 miles of hiking. Uh, I was going to, you know, this epic journey. And it was like a, I had planned it as a transition into manhood. You know, like this is my, this is my, you know, coming of age experience. And I was three weeks into to walking and my dad had a heart attack and I came home Wow. and he, he's fine now, but, and my dad is also a salesman. Right. And so he has to, to drive around and you can't drive after you have heart surgery, right? Cause if the airbag blows up, you know, it'll kill you, your, your, your bone, your chest, your chest bone hasn't healed uh, enough that if that airbag goes off, it'll crush you know your chest. And so I drove my dad for, you know, I think it was like 12 weeks as his, as he was healing. And it was such a gift and a blessing in disguise that, you know, growing up, I didn't get to spend a, a ton of time with my dad. Cause he was, you know, out all day, you know, on sales calls from 7am to 8pm and, uh, he did his best to, you know, play catch with me or whatever like that. And on the weekends, but yeah, it was such a blessing to just spend, you know, 12 weeks just getting to know my dad and really growing that relationship with him. And just, um, yeah. And I'm so thankful now for that. <laughs> and it was really the, the, I guess the coming of age experience that God wanted me to have. And when I look back now, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. That was totally, I couldn't have planned that. And then also that, you know, within, I took a gap year and within that, that year I had so many experiences of that. And so, yeah, the puzzle pieces for me, I don't need a lot of them, but I can see, oh yeah, that's God working. And I've had this idea for a while to write a book kind of uh, for people who don't understand how God works. I think I have a good understanding of this, that there's, you know, these horrible things that happen, you know, these unconnected events, you know, somebody is murdered, you know, somebody, you know, all these horrible events, but God is doing some good through all of them. And they're all interconnected without these people knowing that they actually are connected. And, and there's some great good being brought out of all of them. Um, and that's a classic ENTP. You love to see the connections between everything. Yeah. So that, that whole thing fascinates me. And I have a, I think I have a pretty good quick sense about those things. And in my own experience, yeah, it's been pretty obvious like, Oh yeah, that's where that, that, you know, so for those who, have a hard time seeing God, I would encourage you to look back and kind of really analyze the events of your life and see, oh, well, if I hadn't gone there, hadn't met that person at that exact moment, and they hadn't been thinking about that exact thing, we wouldn't have had the subject and, you know, whatever else wouldn't have happened. And a lot of people call that luck, but as in the Christian understanding, that's God. That's how God works. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one reason why a lot of spiritual directors heartily encourage prayer journals, because we tend to forget the good stuff that God did very quickly. It fades out really easily. So if you have a prayer journal, and you, especially when you're going through a struggle, you can always go back and reread it, and it will almost instantly pick you up. At least it does for me. But I want to pick up on something that you said, tying this back to the subjectivity we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. Notice that your experience was just you. You pick that up based on your subjective connecting of these two seemingly unrelated things. And you do that very easily. Mm -hmm. So what Zia and I would do in our healing ministry is we would kind of go, 
Well, if you're wanting a gift, let's say it's the gift of tongues or something else, what are the reasons behind that? What are the reasons behind the reasons that might be sabotaging your ability to go forward in a certain gift area? Now, subjectivity for me is, would be an area that I would explore because you're so strong on the objectivity. Like you just did it naturally. You didn't have to think about it. You just, you just saw it. That's part of your gift set. And I wish I was more like you and Zia because it's nice to be able to just see stuff so fast. But I would also add Vince that I, based on our experience, would encourage you to not even go down the route of the gift of tongues first. There's nothing wrong with that. And if God's leading you that way, do it. But the gift of prophecy is the real kicker for ENTPs. So think about it this way. One of the early church maxims was grace perfects nature, meaning the, the supernatural light of the spirit goes through the natural stained glass of the church window, and that's how it gets lit up. So God will often take your natural gifts and light them with supernatural. So you have a natural gift of seeing and what God usually does with people with your power is give you supernatural gift of seeing. So it's very common for ENTPs to see visions. And I can ask you this now, and sure. it's no right or wrong answer, but have you ever in the background even suspected that you might've seen something like a vision? Now, even if you haven't, that's not bad, mm -hmm. but I definitely know with a high degree of certainty that you have that packed in there somewhere if you haven't already unpacked it. Have you had any type of experience like that? Yeah, I guess if you could expand a little bit more on what you mean, because you know, <laughs> it's that it's that intuitive. I definitely think about things intuitively and then um, talk about them. Um, yeah, and I, that is a subjective experience. So if you could expand about a little bit more <laughs> about what you mean <laughs> by that. Have uh, you ever, ever had a picture that you mm -hmm. know you saw and it felt different. Like that may not have been my thought. Mm. And you didn't necessarily equate that it came from God, but it was an inspiration that you just kind of assumed was yours. And it came through you for sure. So it has the same nature because it came through your natural soul, but its origin was supernature. Mm. Did you ever have that type of experience where you're just like, I saw the picture in my head and it was right. And I was convinced of it. And I just, knew that it was true right away yeah if you're talking about <laughs> if you're talking about how i think day to day yeah that sounds like how i think where i can connect things pretty quickly and you know like if i'm talking to somebody i have a, i i just know exactly like um giving advice to people like i love giving advice to people about um, like dating or things like that because it's just I have just a, a good understanding of like what's happening. I can see the situation that they're in. I can visualize like, like they don't even have to give me any contextual clues. My automatically I've built the world, you know, and the scene and, um, and, you know, can, can see it really clearly and can give them uh, hopefully good advice. <laughs> I, I hope to be giving good advice. Uh, well, but yeah. I think you've got a latent, in fact, I would say it's a really strong gift of prophecy. Now, here's another thing that confuses people and it confused me for a long time. I actually even wrote a book on it and it was just crystallizing as I was putting it out, but I need to update it. It's called Surrendering to Abundance, but wait till I send out the updated version. 
but it uh in there is a is a dialogue about what it means to be a prophet i would say that everybody that is in that quadrant of truth is a prophet either latently or a dark prophet they've used their prophetic gift to go over to something nasty like the occult or do mm -hmm. witchcraft mm -hmm. or they're already experiencing god and don't realize it or they never have experienced God speak to them really clearly in first person words or through a vision or through something else like the interpretation of tongues. And they are already running with that gift hmm. because it's been my experience that that is so common. In fact, as I just mentioned that to you, I think that's the key. I just hmm. got a little zing from the Holy spirit for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the interpretation of tongues. That is the reason why you have been hung up about tongues because you're naturally on the other end of that. I can feel, actually I can feel the Holy Spirit on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you have this ability to take other people's, um, for lack of a better word, apparent chaos and turn it into design. Hmm. And I think God wants to enhance that more because he's, you know, Jesus was a prophet. <laughs> so Priest, I prophet, think, king. Yeah, that's right. But I think you, as your personality, is a special emphasis on manifesting Jesus as a prophet. Hmm. So, I mean, that's just my two cents. You can go with, it, with God <laughs> in prayer and you can say, well, Dave's full of baloney. And I'm cool with it because that's not, you know, it's my job to just encourage you and let it go. And you just kind of take it and do what you want with it. That's another thing that happened in the charismatic renewals that there was a while where the book of Pro the book the gift of prophecy was so strong and prevalent that people almost treated them like they were the kings and the priests and so there was a really heavy emphasis on if you were a prophet you were kind of at the top of the food chain which is not true just means you can see really clearly just means you're on the front of the boat usually <laughs> uh and so that kind of got a little bit out of balance for a little while it's not so much the case anymore but just a little distinction a prophet means you are a, a person who has prophecy as your first gift. Usually everybody has some form of prophecy, which I would call an accelerated ability to hear God. Like I have a gift of prophecy, but it would not be as fluid as yours. Hmm. Now, if you haven't experienced it anymore, typically what you do is you pray with other people in faith and you just ask that God fan into flame that gift hmm. and you'll start to experience it. Now, so one of the things Z and I do is, Pray with people every day for that. And we see stuff like that happen all the time. Put case in point. Last night we were praying with a client. It's going through a really challenging times. It's been hard for him to focus. A lot of emotional froth, a relationship strain with his spouse and some very dicey decisions have to be made. And so we prayed about some things. God would speak to Zia, who's also a prophet. And she would say, um, can you repent for this where you're doing God's job, protecting yourself? and uh forgive your spouse for doing that and then receive that god wants to do this for you and as he did that prayer he's not even a prophet he got a picture he's like oh that's from god and then before we were done after a two-hour session he had had several <laughs> and he said there were so many pictures i got that night that i can't even recount them all of them to you i'm gonna have to send you an email and he was just overwhelmed mostly by the fact that God had not spoken to him that clearly in a long time. Hmm. So it was such a refresher that Christ was saying, Hey, I love you. And I love your situation more 
than what you think right now. It feels like I'm not there and you've been abandoned and I'm out of control, but I haven't been. And then as we prayed and just basically sat in the presence of God, Jesus showed him all these things and he didn't have to be convinced. A logical argument wouldn't have done it. A lot of rah-rah and hoopla and cheerleading from me wouldn't have done it. And a lot of um, warm empathy wouldn't have done it. Although all three of those things can help. They can, you know, warm the bread before we put the butter on it. But the main thing has to be God uh, doing it as we give him permission. We're actively receptive as he courts us. So I would encourage you uh to kind of sit with god and be really starved for the gift and just say god i want to see i want to see i want to see and i'd be really shocked if you didn't <laughs> yeah that's actually because once i read acts of the apostles more closely actually, i actually had a summer where i read acts of the apostles like every day at work and i just was like obsessed with it um and yeah that i've i've prayed ex- the book of the acts of the apostles yeah yeah, yeah definitely and i've prayed explicitly for these things. And when I was a kid, so my parents, my backstory is my parents are not very Catholic. They're Catholic enough that I was introduced to being a Catholic, but also I think I was recent, I was thinking about this probably yesterday in a time of prayer. And I was like, wow, God, like you, you knew me, you knew me so well that you knew I needed parents who were Catholic enough, but not Catholic that I, my rebellious side, I would rebel towards the faith and not away from it by rebelling against my parents you know, and trying to prove them wrong and actually proving the church right. <laughs> that he, he knew that he, he wanted me for something. And, and I, I could go into you with you later about my own backstory and that, like, there's a lot of, in my own family, you know, miraculous things that have gone on. Um, cool. Yeah. Things like that, that th- there's a purpose for, you know, myself and my sister to be here. Um, and, you know, things like that, that are surrounding that. And, yeah, no, the, definitely the when you when you were talking more about the the imagery, like images popping into my head, yeah, that's never been something that I've been like, oh, that's crazy, because that kind of has like normal, like uh, not, uh, I've never thought that's kind of just the way I think, <laughs> you know, like that's just how right. things well, the, normally happen. The question then, when you're in prayer, is uh, just allowing the Holy Spirit permission to show you how much of that is your natural wiring. And how much of that is a type of direct inspiration? Yeah, yeah. What you'll notice is that the gifts are organic. It's kind of like the first time you kiss somebody, it's just kind of exciting. But then you kind of learn what the other person likes and what will trigger them. And -hmm. so there's a kind of natural flow to all the gifts. We tend to look at them in binary terms, like you either have it or you don't. Or if you have it, then it's completely formed. And that's not true because love is not like that. Love is a science and an art and at its art level, it's deeper and science is broader. So when you go into this, uh, what we notice is that if you take whatever you have, wherever you're at, and then just ask God to add it and put some fertilizer on it and grow it and increase it, you know, one waters as Paul says, but God makes it grow. And so if you act on the vision, and you trust and say, God, I'm not sure if that's you, but I think this is this part of it is what you're telling me to do and just try it. What you'll notice is that the next time you get that picture, it'll be more vivid hmm. because Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, you get more. And all he's doing is growing the trust. He knows he already trusts you because you've given your life to him. You said, yeah, I'll do whatever God wants me to. Why wouldn't you? If God is the truth, 
why wouldn't you trust God? It's obvious, right? <laughs> yeah. <You. laughs> That's funny you say that because actually it was just recently that I was wrestling with this. And even, you know, myself who I claim to be, you know, a believer and a practicing Catholic and I, I go to mass more than, you know, once a week. Um, I was really wrestling with that trusting God. And I was wrestling with a, you know, a, a wound that I had had for a while. And it was that trusting God, like l allowing him to, you know, uh, to guide my life. And I was, I was praying and I was like, you know, I don't trust you. And I kind of got this like picture in my head of me and Jesus sitting on a log in a field with a tree, you know, just like a nice, nice day. And we're just sitting there. We're not looking at each other. We're just sitting next to each other, you know, leaned over how guys talk. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want to do, I don't want to trust you, you know, cause you're going to ask me to be, you know, religious or a priest, you know, I, I want to have a family, you know, I want to get married. Like I want these things. He's like, I'm not asking you <laughs> to be a priest or, you know, to do whatever. I just am asking you to trust me. Like, you know, just to, to you know, just trust me that, I, you know, whatever. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> like, okay, all right, fine. I'll, I can do that, you know. Um, and that, and after, That's and great. well, the, the crazy thing about that was after I, I was like, you know, I need some consolation, you know, I need a hug, you know. And uh, so I went to get up and I heard like, you know, kind of got this like, no, nah, it's right. You don't need to go. Like, I'll line up the hug for you. Like, it, it's all right. <laughs> and so I, I waited, you know, probably like 20 more minutes and it's like, I'm going to go now. He's like, all right, yeah, okay. Like, I didn't have any hesitation to stay anymore. I was like, all right, I've done my time, you know. <laughs> and I and I walked across uh, a campus. I'm at the University of Dallas here. And I walked across campus and I was just uh, walking through this like uh, this cappuccino bar area and there's a hallway to my left and my warmest joyous friend um, is like Vince and you know comes right up and gives me a huge bear hug and uh, he and we I, I was like wow you're an answer to prayer like what <laughs> what made you you know come up here he's like yeah I was just thinking about you was, he was on the other side of campus I was really thinking about you and I was like and I, he's like, he pulled up his phone. And he had my number pulled up already because he was going to call me. And <laughs> and he had like had, you know, just been kind of spurred to, to, to walk onto campus. And uh, well, he wasn't, he was just going up there for the bathroom, but happened to, you know, I was there at the exact same moment. Um, so yeah, little, there's been some personal experience in that regard, but um, yeah, very, very funny. And I, I definitely wrote that one down because I was like, all right, this is, there's, there's something happening here because this is, you know, I didn't plan that. <laughs> yeah. And you could look at that objectively and say, what are the odds? And mm -hmm. that would be fine. It would be a definitive proof, but it would be a rarity, which would be evidence that maybe this isn't a coincidence. Mm -hmm. But you know, subjectively on the inside, your spirit knows, okay, wait a minute. That that's just way off the charts. The timing is just too impeccable. That's an answer to prayer. And you have a gift of being able to triangulate these things really fast, which is great. <laughs> yeah. But if you continue to obey and continue to ask and be hungry and use those things to get you closer, you'll start to see your visions become more clear, more frequent. And uh, after you have a kind of muscle memory developed in that part of your life, in that gift set, you'll start to notice that Jesus will ask you to do some things that will be radical, but you won't be bothered by it because you'll see that he's always come through in the past. Mm -hmm. So he'll ask you to do some things that are a little out of the box. And some of them are going to involve challenging your trust in not being 
rejected because a lot of times prophets get attacked with that. They want to not have the crowd throw stones at them. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so what happens is, this is the picture I got for my wife a long time ago, being a prophet like you, nearest neighbor. She was in the crow's nest of a, of a large sailing vessel. And she kind of enjoyed this solitude up there and the view was fantastic, but she was separated to a certain degree from the crew. And she could go down at any time if there was a party or she could go back up to the crow's nest and she could see really well and she could notify the captain. There's rocks over here and clear sailing on the left. And, but sometimes people down there would tend to think you're not one of us. And that's the temptation the crowd has towards prophets. They will, the dark side, the dark, the ex angels, the demons, the evil spirits, as Jesus called them, will be whispering into the people's ear. When you walk into an area, okay, that guy is not one of us. And so what you're going to have to do is be really rooted in your ability to hear God so that it doesn't bother you. Because what happens a lot of times with prophets is they go into an environment and just their presence alone will stir up the dark agents and they'll go get that guy out of here because he can see us because you have night vision, basically. <laughs> have you ever felt or detected the presence of something else like an angel or a demon or something? Well, yeah. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on this podcast. <laughs> well, here we go, everybody. <laughs> yeah, no. This is it. We're live, meaning pre-recorded with Vince Roberts. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid. So both my, so my, I can give you some more backstory. So my grandmother, my, my mom's mom um, had a lot of experiences where like she had a mirror when she was a kid and she could see a woman in it. And she would talk about this all the time. Um, and I think her mom had this going back and they were Germanic. Um, and then my, her, my mom's dad is Sicilian. So that's where I think some of this, this kind of darker stuff may have entered. Not, nothing bad about the Sicilians, but um, you know, that side of the family was definitely involved with the crime families in New York and things like that. So there was, there's some more, you know, negative stuff going on there. But anyways, my, my grandmother had something like this and my sister, my sister has always weirded me out. Um, when I was a kid, uh, there's, there's one memory that really stands out where we were going to a do uh, our doctor and she was a you know pediatrician and she, which she didn't have an office. She had a home office and she lived kind of in the woods, a uh, beautiful area of Massachusetts out in the woods. And um, there's this big rock outside of her house, you know, in, in the woods. And um, at the time her son was dying of cancer and you know, we're kids. I think we were six and my sister is two years younger than me. So she was like four, just old enough to talk. Uh, and we pulled up to the, the house and she goes, there's Jesus, mommy, you know, there's Jesus. And she's pointing at this rock <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, the rock. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Like uh, there, there she goes again, her, you know, her imagination. And, um, you know, she's pretty insistent. We went in and she's like, Bye, Jesus, you know, as <laughs> little girls do. And, uh, you know, my frustration, and we still laugh about this as a family. I was like, you know, just tie Jesus to the roof. Like, tell him to get on the car. Like, I want to go home. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I got my shot. I'm, I'm frustrated. You know, I'm done. And, uh, you know, she's always kind of had that, that thing um, and, you know, has had some miraculous stuff around that. And 
she's recently rediscovered her her faith and her love of Jesus and it's really beautiful I don't touch it on any level but she has a, a some some of that going on um she's way more introverted than I am as well um and I forgot oh yeah okay so then yeah so then later when I was a kid I was fascinated by you know the the bible I didn't it was my own kind of just I was like yeah this is all true <laughs> and I understood it and there's um my mom was in a, a protestant bible study and she you know she'd ask me you know what do you think about this and i kind of just i just knew exactly what the the scripture was about and i like gave her like this is what he's talking about you know this is the thing that he's talking about she's like really like and she wrote it all down she brought it and they're like whoa like that's an amazing insight and she's like yeah my son thought thought it <laughs> and i remember like being like eh, that was just normal like why is that so surprising like you know that's not weird um and but yeah when i was just your average everyday profit <laughs> when i was 10 though or yeah maybe like 10 11 i you know i growing up in massachusetts started really getting interested in kind of the occult so you can that's where the that's where some of this other stuff is entered and when you were speaking about that it was like oh yeah i can feel that again in my chest and for yeah. a number of years for my birthday, I would request that we went up to Salem. And in Salem, Salem is, you know, where the witch trials happened. And there is some demonic stuff that goes on there. And there is a lot of Wicca, which is this spiritual religion that goes on there. And they have shops where they sell, you know, ingredients to make their potions and, and stuff like that. And the Ouija board was invented in Salem and all this other stuff. And I was just fascinated by this because this seemed more real now, like, oh, this is tangible. Like there's something going on here. This is tangible. And I remember, yeah, like we'd go to these shops and, and, uh, you know, bought some stuff from there and had some of this stuff. And like, there was one, one occasion, I was just telling somebody about this recently that there was this shop brightly lit, you know, come, you know, warm feeling, you know, like warm in environment standard, but there's something weird about it. Didn't feel really good. And in the middle, they had just a table with a Ouija board on it. Nobody's touching it. And I walked up, I remember I touched it and the thing moved like a the best way I can describe it is a, a hockey puck on a, on a ice hockey table where, you know, I put no effort and it just started gliding towards, you know, along this track of letters. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, uh, that's weird. And um, luckily around that time towards the end of this this experience of that i was reintroduced to my faith by um, the, um a group within the church called opus day which really does a good job of bringing the the secular into the into the religious the intellectual and that was that recaptivated me back into my faith and these men who really were deeply intellectual and could understand their faith and, and describe it to me in new ways was very, very captivating. And that's where I received a lot of my formation. Um, so yeah, that was my backstory in, in terms of that. So yeah, there was like a big time where I was like, Oh, wow, I've, I've gone down this road too far. And like we had, um, I think there was like a, a voodoo doll at my house, something like this, that um, from years and years, I didn't buy this. It was, it was there. And I realized like, Oh, we have to get rid of this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know, there's, there's a tradition. This is super weird, but uh, we'll, we'll go there. Yeah. There's a tradition in the Sicilian tradition that like, if you have, you know, an evil, if there's like an evil spirit attached to an object, you, you wrap it and you bring it to the crossroads or a swamp and you bury it. Right. So it can't, the, the spirits get confused and can't follow you home. And I remember I did that, you know, I went into the swamp 
and, and buried this thing and, you know, got, got rid of it. Um, yeah. And after that definitely had a lighter, um, feeling. Cause I definitely had like a dark feeling around that time and got very, you know, emo esque. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And it was very, very, um, heavy, heavy time. And, and for me, that's where a lot of personal sins crept in as well was in this time as well. So yeah. Yeah. Very interesting that you brought that up as well. Cause that, that I have experienced that. And, um, and my faith yeah. has been strengthened because of that. Like it, it, I'm glad it happened so I can understand it and, yeah. and speak to it. Cause you know, otherwise it's just, you know, you don't, the subjectivity there, you don't have any understanding of what it's like. So, right. yeah. Well, the veil between the natural and the supernatural, very thin for prophets and that's part by God's design. So you would be able to detect the dark stuff and the light stuff very easily. So the way that prophets get tricked is to say, I must conform with the truth because that's my gift. Mm -hmm. And then if the darkness presents itself as true, your will will feel some gravity that I kind of either have to acknowledge this, I have to deal with it, I have to answer questions about it, or I have to give in to it. And that's the way that a lot of cults and occultic things start is by prophets who are taught that there's power in the supernatural over here. And then there's usually a lie packed in that says, well, it's all innocent, but you know, deep down, especially if you've had some good parenting or a lot of love in your life before you get to that point, okay, this chicken smells funny. <laughs> and so you have that gift. I'll tell you another thing that's fascinating. All of the famous atheists are generally prophets who've been tricked. Maybe not their fault. They might've inherited or had bad family upbringings or a lot of personal wounds. Who knows? Everybody's story is different. No judgment, but a lot of winter, I call them the truth column. The also the Greek name is the choleric, which is what you are. Usually will go into atheism because they'll look at the bad things in religion of which there are numerous mm -hmm. and say, that can't be true. Just exactly in the same way as you looked at the Bible and went, Oh, this is definitely true. They look at religion and they go, that's definitely not true. And that's why in the face of 98% of people on the planet believing historically that the supernatural is real and that there's this whole world outside this world and it's more real than this world, they still can't give into that because they're so wedded to the truth that they've been tricked to, which is basically I've got to conform to the truth. Mm. And so if religion tells me something is true and I know it's not true, mm. then baloney. So the fact that you uh, are a prophet would mean that you would have the ability to see the angels and the demons. And so your goal is, and this is pretty common, by the way, is to stick with your focus on God's love. Let everything be what you see. It's almost like looking at Christ's face. And in fact, that picture that you explained to me a few minutes ago about you and Jesus sitting on a log and just being with each other and you just talking and you just looking at Jesus' face, you didn't see any critters. You weren't focusing on problems. You were just being there and talking about whether or not you could trust him very honestly. And that's perfect because what the dark side will try to do to prophets is to get them to take their focus. In other words, if we can take their eyes and move them off into the darkness, we temptation to move that direction, to bow to it, to acknowledge it, to see the power of it. And clearly you saw the power on the Ouija board. Oh yeah. And it was just in like the intellectual side of that. It's only through that 
um, God bringing these people and these really solid mentors into my life who were very intellectual, uh, you know, lawyers, doctors, um, uh, you know, very, very smart people, MIT, you know, students, Harvard professors, right, who, who could talk to me. I was, I mean, I probably wouldn't be Catholic because I was falling down that, that line of thinking as well. And also just even today, my favorite thing is to talk, to listen to people who are very atheistic and are very intelligent. Like I have a person who I've been talking to off and on now for a year, who's an ardent atheist, you know, science, scientific person who I understand where he's coming from. I understand why he thinks the way he's the things he's thinking. And yeah, um, yeah one of the, that's one of the reasons for this podcast as well is to help men who are very smart um, and, or, or at least have this bent towards the intellectual to see the truth because Why the truth is me then <laughs> well you know there's a road there's a there's a road to understanding and there's a there's so the the puzzle's very big the picture's really broad and it takes a lot of brush strokes to fill it in and you know that that's the kind of the the path i think of everybody i've had on i've i think has been an essential part of filling in different pieces of that puzzle and so far, I've loved this conversation because it answers a lot of these kind of broader things that I've been thinking about recently. Um, yeah, well, I'll throw out another thing if you're interested in it. Sure. And that is that uh, you mentioned how intellectuals have had a huge impact on you, which is great because you're an intellectual. But I would throw this caveat out there that the most important thing, even though intellectuals will say this, is not intellectualism or your mind or your thinking think of it this way like the temperaments goodness truth and beauty are and the oneness of that life are all illuminated by love the supernatural you know love of god god is love and he supernaturally shines through and illuminates all that stuff so if an extremely intelligent person in the natural realm is not motivated by love an argument or a logic will do very little on depending on how badly they don't want to believe it. So like Jesus said, you know, I could raise Moses from the dead and give you empirical evidence and you still wouldn't believe because not because it's not true. You don't want to. Mm. So the temptation with prophets is not that they should be really smart or not be really smart because you're going to be smart. Anyway, God gave you that gift. He wants to show that the, the world that he's smart, and he can see everything through that's the way he that's what he makes you for is so that people have evidence that god is like you and god can live his life through you but your mind is a tool that love goes through so you can have very smart evil people and so what we're tricked in a lot in this modern age is to think that the smartest answer will always result in the most loving and that's not true. The, mm -hmm. the mind, just like the will and the emotions are all gifts that love shines through. They're all dimensions of love. So you see this a lot in the U.S. and the modern world and in particularly Europe because the, God has kind of gifted a lot of prophets from those regions. And in fact, if you want to think about the United States, it really is a prophet nation. That doesn't mean it's the best or that's the best on SAT scores necessarily but God gives the U S the nation of being the first people like that. The U S is kind of like that person in the crow's nest of a ship. 
that says, I see this. I see that putting a man on the moon is possible. I see the internet is possible. The light bulb is possible, etc. And so the United States gets tempted into thinking, well, science is our God. Mm -hmm. That's just another form of worshiping your own mind. The U.S. worships its own mind too much and then ignores all these other ways that love is supposed to be manifested. So I just offer to you that is a typical thing that somebody with your superpower has is to look, you know, the normal two or three things are to do it through your natural mind first over your supernatural mind. That's number one. Number two would be to look in the supernatural and see that supernatural darkness is equal to or better than supernatural light. And that's false too. Easy to know, but harder to live out. And then the third thing is even if you could know everything, and even if you had power over the, over the supernatural stuff, if you don't do it with Christ, then the Bible says it doesn't matter because it's not building love. And without love, you got nothing. And with love, you got everything. So those three things are really big for prophets. Always use the supernatural knowledge first. Always do supernatural light over supernatural darkness. And always do it with and for and from love. God being love. End of my sermon. If you'd like to order this, dial 1-800. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, this might be a good time to wrap it up. We've definitely run over our, uh, our oh. hour. But uh, yeah. Oh my I would... gosh, we have. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, I've enjoyed my it. Apologies. No, no, I did that intentionally. So don't worry at all. Yeah, no, maybe we can do this again because this has been a, a very good, very good discussion. And I really oh, enjoyed sure. it. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. And I feel like I talk too much and I feel like I didn't use my Irish gift of banter enough. <laughs> well, you, ask, it's always like ahead. a first date on these interviews, right? <laughs> Let me ask you a question about your ethnic background, because that will color your gift a lot. Are you sure. British or European or what's your background? Yeah, my so my family, uh, there's two lines. So we have two kind of distinct lines. So my dad's side is Welsh and Scottish Roberts comes from uh, Robertson or Roberts in support of Robert the Bruce. So we date back very, very way back. And when I watch Braveheart, I'm like, yeah, that's my people, you know, <laughs> um, you know, so that that's the, the Scottish um, British ancestry that we have on that side, a little bit of Irish from my grandmother there. And then on my, my mom's side, we are descended of um, Swiss German. And then her dad's side is, Italian and her dad was Sicilian, but he married her and her grandfather was Sicilian, but he married a Lorenzo, which, you know, goes back to Lorenzo, the great of the Medici's and two popes, not very good popes, but that's the other, the other line as well. So we have these two um, historic lines within, you know, that meet with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's interesting. Okay. Cause I, I knew there was a prophet nation in there somewhere and it's Germany. Germany is a super strong prophetic gift, by the way. You can see what happened. They use their prophetic gift to go down some dark stuff. Interesting. That's where my grandmother's from. She's she was uh, from, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. She was just from a poor family, but she has Coons. That's her last okay. name. Yeah. She was a uh, German and um, Swiss. Yeah, and things carry down the generations. So what we have to do a lot of times in our healing ministry is. Uh, look back on the ethnicities and say, well, what is the gift that's there? And, and has there been any warping of that gift. And so 
I think one of the reasons that you have a natural gift of prophecy is your German inheritance and the fact that you live in the U.S., but, you know, you can ask God about that for further high definition. <laughs> Interesting. But can I mention uh, a little commercial for the healing ministry? That Definitely. We're doing? I'd love for you to. Yeah. So for anybody who's interested, Zia and I started a healing ministry a few years ago. We've always been strong believers and really very passionate about receiving the love of God in meaningful, practical, experiential ways that really are transformative. And a couple of years ago, we decided to do this healing thing because God told us to, and it's been really doing really well. We're kind of full on clients. We do coaching and praying with people for healing, miraculous healing. It's not like getting on a stage and doing a lot of shouting. It's more one-on-one, two-on-one, two-on-two. And so that got full. So right now what we have is a thing called um, the name of the ministry is Uncork Genius, and you can find it at uncorkgenius.com. And what we did was um, we've migrated now to a one-to-many platform, and that program is called Uncork Elevate. And it's something you can join in if you'd like to be on a twice-a-month Zoom conference, and there's a healing community, and we talk about things such as what Vince and I have talked about here. And if anybody's interested, you can go to uncorkgenius.com and the program's called Elevate. Just click on that. And the whole idea is there's power in numbers. And we try to bring out the different gifts as much as we can. We cover a different topic each week. And there's a little storyline to the path of uh, the coaching. So you can join in every 10 months. We just started right now. We're at the beginning of November. So we'll probably close enrollment in another week or two. But if anybody's interested, any of your listeners, Vince, you can go there and then we'll start another one up in about nine months. And the whole idea is to unpack, uncork the wine that's already in you. Awesome. Yeah. I'm very excited about that, uh, that healing ministry that you guys have. And uh, hopefully maybe in the future we can have Zia on and kind of dive into this a little bit more because this is fascinating. And I'm sure a lot of people um, need this and also, uh, would be hungry to understand a little bit more of this as well. So yeah, sure. Thanks a lot, Vince. Appreciate the encouragement. I will say that uh, Zia really we did want to be on this, but we have another client thing going on, and she said, "Well, why don't you go and have your fun?" <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, she wants to be on another one if you ever have us back, so that's fine. Yeah, that'd be great. I loved um, you, you posted a video that she a lecture that she gave, I believe. Um, on healing, which uh, you guys can check out at, is it, make sure I get the channel right, Dave Nevins uh, on YouTube. Yeah, I know you have three channels, but it's on one of them. Yeah, and I'm, we're trying to get more videos out and we'll post uh, the audio from this one. But the uh, you can at any time just go to uncorkgenius or davezia.com. There's a lot of different doors, but or if you just Google Constanzia Inner Healing, uh, you'll get all of them, but Uncork Genius has all of them there, or you can always just drop us a line. <laughs> yeah, that, that worked for me. <laughs> you somehow Vince got in everybody. <laughs> yeah, so it's been well, a pleasure, Vince. We really uh, enjoyed it, and I I think that there's more good stuff coming up for you. I can feel like you have uh, the senses that you have uh, a really good heart, and you really want to do the right thing, and uh, you're really. I can sense that you have this uh, really strong appetite for knowledge and you see the damage that happens when people don't operate from a clear vision. 
And uh, some of that is just going to be obvious to you, but it just, it just feels like it's very clear to me. Yeah, no, but that anyway. makes sense. That makes sense to me. Well, awesome, Dave. This has been a pleasure and uh, I'd love to do it again in the future. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, we'll be in touch. Definitely. That was my guest, Dave Nevins, who is a webmaster for Peter Kreeft and host of three YouTube channels and website exploring temperaments and personality for the purpose of unlocking your God-given gifts. Dave and his wife also run a healing ministry called Uncork Genius, which helps people work through childhood wounds and, as you heard, uncork the Holy Spirit within. I hope you got something out of this episode, and I look forward to having you back here for the next one.